I'm Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber Hello out there on the internet. You know, I never get tired of that introduction as many times as I hear it. Uh, are you using two-factor authentication for all your accounts? Do you have Apple Pay or another service hooked up to a bank card? Well, so do criminals. It's the growth of a scheme Cyber first reported on about six months ago, thanks to bots that help criminals track trick you into giving up your 2FA codes, they're now able to set up links between Apple Pay bank cards. Apple, or they're able to set up links between Apple Pay and bank cards. It's shockingly easy to do and bizarrely shockingly hard to stop. So this week on Cyber, we've got returning champion motherboard staff writer Joseph Cox. He's the author of the latest on this, Criminals Abuse Apple Pay in Spending Sprees. JC, thank you so much for joining us once again. Thank you for having me. All right, so this is kind of a follow-up to a story, uh, maybe not quite six months ago, but we talked about previously on Cyber back in November. Um, so I want to give audience members who maybe don't know what that story is, kind of the basics. The The old story was the booming underground market for bots that steal your 2FA codes. Can you walk us through kind of what was going on there briefly? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, we all know that hackers, scammers, fraudsters can be very convincing. You know, they will pretend to be your bank, they will ring you up, or they'll write you an email, something like that. But that, especially the phone calls, involves the scammer being pretty good at chatting on the phone. That gives me instant anxiety, the even thought of doing that in a legitimate context, let alone a, a criminal one. So not everybody can do that, right? Not everybody can pretend to be the bank. What these bots did that we previously reported on, you know, we got audio of one of them, and I think we published that at the time as well. These dramatically lower the barrier of entry for people around social engineering. They streamline the process. So you will have Telegram or Discord or something like that. You will enter the target's number into this bot. You will select, hey, what script do you want to follow? And I mean like a literal uh, vocal script, right? Like, does this target use Bank of America? Do they use Chase? Do they use PayPal? Something like that. And the bot will then, of course, use a script based on that. Uh, and then the audio that we published, I think was a PayPal example, it automatically calls the target and the automated voice says something along the lines of, hey, there's a weird activity on your PayPal account. Um, please send us or type in the code that you've just been sent to verify that everything's okay. Now, at the same time, the hacker on their end is trying to break into the PayPal account to actually trigger the 2FA code to be sent by PayPal to the victim. That's expected behavior. You know, that is how 2FA works. But the bot is then tricking them into handing over that 2FA token that the hacker then automatically gets back through their Discord or Telegram. They use that to log into the account, and there you go. You just bypass 2FA. It is incredibly efficient, quite, kind of elegant in its way, and it's being sort of hacked together. Um, but these have been on the rise for a little while now, especially over the past year. So has anything, before we kind of get into this next, what they're doing after that, which I think is the kind of the new story that you've just reported on, uh, have these bots in the past six months that you've seen, have they become more sophisticated? Like, what do they cost? You know, has there been any updates to that part of the system itself? The, the main update is that I think there are just more of them. 
like when we were looked into this, as you say, six months ago, something like that, there were maybe two or three. One I reported on went dark, and then it came back under a different name. Now, if you go and search, uh, mostly on Telegram is where I'm, I'm looking at them, but you can find other ones. Um, the prices have remained pretty stable, though. Um, they can be kind of expensive. I mean, you would pay hundreds of dollars just for a monthly subscription, something like that. If you wanted to get so-called lifetime access to the bot, that's that can be thousands, you know, two, three thousand dollars for unlimited use of this bot. But if you're then able to use that, maybe even to break into a Coinbase account, something like that, and empty the Bitcoin uh, potentially, I mean, depending on the target, you can make back that 3K pretty easily. But yeah, the main development is just um, the popularity of them, I, I would say. The bots themselves haven't changed all that much because they have a goal and, and they meet it pretty effectively. Right. Okay. And so there's been kind of an evolution here. The bots are being used to do one specific thing uh, and they're being used to do a whole bunch of things. But the, there's one this kind of specific scam that you wrote about on the site this week. Um, what's going on here? Yeah, so to be fair, that is a change, or rather I've just seen more people talking about it. You're right. So what criminals are doing now is they're taking these bots, which again are basically the same bots, but they're applying them to contactless pay pay systems, uh, and especially Apple Pay. So, you know, as plenty of people who use iPhones will know, Apple Pay is where you will link your bank card, a debit card or a credit card, to Apple Pay. And then that allows you to, I don't know, use public transport or maybe buy a coffee or even buy bigger items just by tapping your phone on some sort of point of sale um, system. Right? And I think you can also use it for online purchases as well if you're doing it on a Mac or even an iPad um, as well. So what fraudsters are doing now is that they are pivoting to using these 2FA bots explicitly for that purpose. Because when you sign up to Apple Pay, when you link your debit or your credit card to Apple Pay, in a lot of cases, you will have to enter a 2FA code. And then that is where the bot comes in. And we've seen people go on spending sprees once they've linked these two things together. And the, and the people who are sharing images of the spending sprees, um, they are people who are selling the bots because often in the criminal underworld, uh, people who sell items or services will ask their clients for a review um, sometimes there's a requirement for actually getting access to the tool or the capability. And then they will post, hey, look, here's a happy customer doing this, uh, as you can see on the screen right now. So that is what people are doing now with these bots, with Apple Pay. That's one of the things that I think is always fascinating about these stories uh, when we talk to you about them is how much bragging is involved on these Telegram channels. Like, it, And it's a form of advertisement, just like you said, right? They, they really push... Like, why would you need to replicate two FA codes? Well, here, here's all the money you can make. So, uh, this image that I that I I'll pull back up here. Um, can you walk us through for the 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 podcasting audience? What are we looking at exactly? Is that a that looks like a box filled with pre purchased gift cards? Yeah. So there is a photograph of a cardboard box with tons of um, gift cards or maybe prepaid credit cards. I mean, they specify later that it is Giffies, which is a a slang term uh, in the digital underground for gift cards. They indicate in the messages that, you know, this only took them a week and a half with one credit card, and they've somehow got $20,000 worth of these gift cards. 
Um, now, you know, gift cards are exceptionally common in the digital underground. They have been for a very long time. They will continue to be so because they allow people to basically launder a stolen credit card data or, or other forms of valuable data and then cash it out. You may not always, I mean, you, you don't get literal cash at the end of it, but you get, say, $50 worth of Amazon credit or $100 worth of Amazon credit, and you can use that to buy, especially on Amazon, whatever you want, an item you want or maybe something you can sell um, later on. Uh, but importantly in that screenshot, underneath the photo of the gift cards, there's a little blurb from the administrator. And he basically sums up what we just saw. But very importantly, he adds that the way this was done was, quote, the user added credit cards to Apple Pay and tapped, end of quote, referring to, you know, obviously tapping the phone. Uh, and I think that's just what they call it. Um, and crucially, and when I read this line, this was when I realized, oh, we should do a piece specifically on Apple Pay. It says, quote, easiest way to make profit using bot. So, I mean, that, that speaks for itself. You know, the, you have this bot which can break into all sorts of stuff, Coinbase accounts, PayPal accounts, potentially bank accounts. That is all well and good, but if you can find a way with less friction, like Apple Pay, that is really attractive to criminals. What is it about this contactless pay? Because it's not just to be clear, it's not just Apple Pay, right? Um, I think in the piece you 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 name check also Google and Samsung, basically any kind of contactless thing where you're hooking up your credit card to uh, one of these, like your phone or another account, right? Is is susceptible to this? What is it about contactless pay specifically that is so attractive to criminals? Well, when you usually have stolen credit card numbers, let's say you have the number, uh, the number itself, the security code on the back, maybe you have the expiry. Perhaps you could go and, I don't know, try and do an online purchase with that. Then you're also going to need the billing address. Um, Maybe you also have that as well, and you could do that. Um, But that's like a whole other area of fraud, online purchases, right? You could try and physically clone the card, but my understanding is that that's a little bit old now and potentially a little bit harder. Uh, And then depending on the way you do it, you know, you don't know the person's PIN number, right? Of course, when you go and you use a debit card at a a shop or you go take out cash, you're going to need the PIN card, uh, the PIN number, sorry. So you don't have that. Interestingly, when you link a credit or uh, specifically a debit card to a contactless pay system like Apple Pay, Obviously, you don't enter your PIN when you go and you buy that coffee or you buy that item because, of course, that is the entire point of these contactless pay systems is it's meant to be very fluid. It's meant to be very frictionless. Um, And both of those things are true, but it also means that the criminal does not need your PIN number if they manage to get the details necessary to link it to Apple Pay. I mean, the way I was kind of envisioning it is that the, the criminals are essentially creating a contactless card just by using Apple Pay. And as you say, it's Google and Samsung as well. We just focused on Apple specifically because the fraudster said this was the easiest way to make money from the bots. It's so funny because it reminds me of uh, longtime listeners of the show may know that I've complained about my previous lives before. Um, But a long time ago, I was in loss prevention for Banana Republic. And one of the things I was good at uh, was catching this kind of stuff. Um, and it remind this reminds me of a scam I used to see where 
people would they would buy like credit card numbers online uh like from one of the like from one of these telegram channels or one of these raid forums and they would have a rudimentary like printer at home that they would make credit cards that looked like um that looked and performed like gift cards like the prepaid gift cards so it doesn't have the raised bevel lettering um it may not have all the information on it that's needed um and a lot of times retailers are just will just push transactions through. Um, even if like red flags get raised, they're like, "Oh, this is just one of those gift cards. I'll just I'll circumvent it at the point of sale, however I need to, just to kind of keep to keep that you know keep friction down and keep the line moving." Um, and it was a pretty frequent scam I saw. And the, like this is an upgrade to that in a way, is they're removing like you're you're just linking it to a phone, um, which is wild to me uh, that that we've gotten to a point where it's this sophisticated now. Um, I'm curious. It's, it seems like the features of these payment methods that are sold, like, it's, I imagine that Apple and Google and Samsung kind of bill this as being also not just convenient, but also secure, right? Because it's attached to your device. Um, but it seems like those selling points have been turned against people and make, made them vulnerable here. Do you think that's true or am I talking out my ass? I think there are definitely security benefits to using contactless uh, payment systems like these, right? So when you link a debit card to Apple Pay, your sort of the, the actual card information is not really stored or, or sorry, let me rephrase it. The actual card information is not given to the retailer when you go and uh, buy an item with Apple Pay. When you go and take your phone and you place it on a point-of-sale system, it's not transferring your card data, the literal card data, to the sale system. It's providing a token, almost like a, like a not, not quite a hash, but almost a representation of that card data, which allows the payment to still go through and that sort of thing. And the security benefit there is that because you're not giving all of your card data to this point-of-sale system, it means that if that point-of-sale system is ever hacked, you know, in the same sort of way the hackers often take massive bevies of credit card data, the hackers won't actually get your credit card data. They'll just get this sort of one or limited-use token, right? And that can dramatically limit the exposure you have to potentially your credit card information um, being hacked and stolen further down the line. So there's definitely... um, a security benefit there. You can think of it sort of in the same sort of way as using a disposable phone number or a disposable uh, email address. Like, oh, okay, if that point of sale system gets hacked, I'll I'll lose that number or that email address or that credit card information. But it's not my actual uh, one. So there there is definitely some benefit there. And again, the, the friction uh, or the lack of friction is a usability benefit. But that is um, not not blowing up an Apple in Apple's face, that, that would be too far, but it's a consideration that the criminals um, enjoy as well. Yeah. All right. We're going to pause there for a break. If you're watching the Twitch stream, we will be back immediately. If you are listening to uh, the podcast version, we'll be right back after this. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. 
tap the banner to go to monday.com. All right, cyber listeners, this is Matthew. We are back on with Joseph Cox talking about uh, a new scheme that where criminals are using Apple Pay to go on spending sprees. Um, we got a, a, a comment in chat that I think is pretty good. Um, quote, people just need to learn to never give their 2FA code up ever. And you're, you're, you're nodding your head. Um, basically, like if someone's calling you asking for the 2FA code, that's a scam, right? Like full, you know, full on. You're, you're never, it's always going to be through the approved method that you've set up. It's always going to be texted to you or emailed to you. No one's ever going to, and no one's ever going to call and ask for it directly, right? Yeah, no one is going to contact you and ask you to provide the code. It's always going to be uh, a system flow in which you are visiting the site or something like that, and you are then providing the code. It's not so much being requested from you as you providing it. And I know that can be a very thin distinction, um, but that is um, very ge- uh, generally speaking what is going to happen with 2FA codes. But, you know, that being said, you know, oh, the idea that you'd have to provide a code to stop some fraud happening, I mean, intuitively to user, uh, to a user, that can make sense. You know, oh, I'm, pro- I'm proving it's me, you know, which is why a lot of these, uh, well, phishing emails, uh, text messages, phone calls, that's why they often pre- uh, prey on the idea that, oh, if you don't do this, then you're going to be at risk. And, you know, that's a common uh, phishing tactic, but it's one that's going to remain effective for a very, very long time. This also gets to something else that we were talking about a little bit off the air. Um, what what are some of the other methods that you think people can use to protect themselves from this kind of scam? Um, it, it's mostly in... The 2FA, I mean, you could potentially use um, some, like a dedicated phone number just for 2FA, and then you could potentially know that, oh, if I'm getting a request sent to this phone, that's a bit strange because I don't give out this phone number readily. You know, I don't give it up to marketers or something like that. I just provide it uh, for 2FA um, features. So you could do... Um, something like that for an ordinary user. But even that is going to be a big hurdle for um, a lot of people, you know? Well, the other thing you can do is simply um, not use. Con- oh, I guess that doesn't, that doesn't prevent you. That doesn't prevent the scam. I was going to say, don't use contactless pay at all. Right. But that's not the, that's not the threat vector here. Right. Yeah. I uh, mean, that, that's, that's actually a very good point in that people may read this or hear about this and they'll think though, Oh, well I don't use Apple pay. So then, it's, so then it's not an issue. It's like, no, no, the criminal user, the criminal uses Apple Pay. It doesn't matter if you do or you don't, right? Um, because, I mean, maybe we'll get into this in a bit more detail in a minute, but crucially, the anti-fraud mechanisms and the 2FA code, which links the bank card to Apple Pay, that code is not being delivered by Apple. It is not being instigated by them. It is actually coming from the bank. So let's say, just purely hypothetically, not to blame them specifically, but let's say Wells Fargo, something like that, they are the ones who are going to be delivering that 2FA code. And then obviously by the carrier, T-Mobile or, or whoever. It is, not, um, it is not going to be 
uh, Apple. So that's just something that people have to bear in mind is that at the end of the day, this really comes down to bank security a lot more than it necessarily does Apple security. But of course, I mean, Apple Pay is an Apple system and they should be doing more or, they sh- or maybe they should see more responsibility in doing that. And there, there is another point I'll make on that shortly, maybe when we talk more about fraud specifically. Or let's, the systems. let's talk about, um, you talked to, or you reached out to, I guess I should say, uh, Apple and some banks for this story. Wells Fargo specifically, I believe. What did Apple say? In stereotypical style, did not say much. You know, even when you go to them and say, hey, fraudsters are saying this is the easiest way to make money from bots, they don't provide you a statement. They provide you a list of bullet points, which are just taken from their website, basically. And it's like, hey, there's this page, this page, this page. And you go to them, and basically what they're saying is that it's not our fault, and it is the bank's job to do the verification. And there's also another page saying that um, uh, that users should be on the lookout for phishing and scams, basically what we were talking about um, earlier. What I would say at this point now is that, very interestingly, we reached out to Apple last week, I think literally seven days ago at this point, to tell them, look, we're writing this story, can we have your statement, blah, blah, blah. Um, That process went as normal. Yesterday, Apple quietly announced and put a pop-up inside the phones of people using Apple Pay that there are now going to be new anti-fraud mechanisms on Apple's side, including taking your location data Uh, and other payment information, stuff about your Apple ID as well, that will be sent to, um, I think, the validating bank for verification. Um, Somehow Apple failed to mention that (laughs) when we contacted them last week. And now, look, I'm not going to say that, oh, we contacted Apple, then in a week they deployed this new system. I think that would be very unrealistic, and I think it would require a lot more time to design and implement such a system. But clearly... At the same time, we were exploring there being fraud. Apple clearly knew that fraud was a problem on Apple Pay because they've just introduced this new feature uh, as well. What about the banks? The banks, they said, um, kind of what I mentioned earlier, which is that they handled the 2FA codes. um, And kind of crucially, that they say for contactless payments, all of the sort of anti-fraud mechanisms you would normally see with a physical card, be those both passive and active, you know, looking for suspicious transactions, maybe blocking a card, something like that. Uh, Wells Fargo, at least, said that those all apply to contactless payments as well. So on one side, you have Apple that's saying, well, it's kind of the bank's job to do anti-fraud. And then you have the bank saying, well, we're doing all of the mechanisms we normally do, but then this fraud is still happening. So clearly, someone's either being disingenuous or not really fessing up to the actual responsibility they have. Yeah, there's and a disconnect way, think, somewhere. Right, there's a disconnect. And I think we may actually have the answer in that Apple finally did actually do something, albeit quietly and albeit a week after we reached out. Right, I've got some 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 chatter in the chat I think is interesting. Uh, Emery Lee 2014 asks, would getting away from providing the 2FA code via text help reduce this exploit? Potentially, it, it, it would depend. Let's, let's say that you got the 2FA code sent to your email. That could be better because, you know, if someone was just going to take that email, the, uh, that email code, they'd have to break into your email account, and that could be a lot harder. And also, 
let's say the 2FA code goes to your email, you then get a phone call saying, oh, please give us your code. A user may still provide it, but they may also go, well, that's a bit weird. I'm getting an email, then I'm getting a phone call. Why aren't I just getting a text and a phone call? Um, I think you'd have to see in the wild how that worked out, but potentially there could be some differences there, I would say. Uh, Dcast777 says, and I think I agree with him, um, if a user is being tricked into giving up the code, it's no different if the user is giving up the code. I think it's just, it may be... I feel like SMS and email are similar enough that it probably wouldn't make that much of a difference. Uh, but again, we'd have to see it in the wild. Yeah, the, the, only, the only other thing I'm thinking is that let's say you're on your phone and you get an email with a notification with mm-hmm. your code. Maybe that pops up. Maybe you have to go open email. You then get the phone call, which requires you to use the touch tone feature to enter it, You know, so you get the six beeps or whatever. Right, right. It could be quite cumbersome to switch between the email client and the phone client um i think that's getting really really in the weeds yeah but you have to think about these frictions as well because the criminals want it to be very very smooth and they want it to appear legitimate obviously as well uh pam clay asks why not use authenticator like uh like a google authenticator or another similar system Ordinarily, that would be great and would certainly be an improvement over SMS. And I think, generally speaking, it is still an improvement over SMS, right? But some of these bots do explicitly say, hey, we can help you do Google Authenticator codes, Duo codes um, as well. Because at the end of the day, if you give up your Google Authenticator code or number, that is just like giving up a code that was delivered over SMS. Now, Google Authenticator and other ones have the very good security protection of, you know, you only have 30 seconds to enter this code, something like that. And you always feel like you're in a race with yourself just to paste that sodding code so you can log into PayPal or whatever. Uh, That's every single day. But the thing with these bots is, because the back end is all, all automated as well, as soon as the victim pastes that code, it instantly gets sent to the hacker um, but they don't just then copy it and then paste it in themselves. They can set it up to then immediately break into the account as well. So, you know, in under two seconds, way under the timer for Google Authenticator, that code's already been funneled from the phone by the user through the hacker's infrastructure, through to the Coinbase account or whatever it is. So, unfortunately, when it comes to phishing, Google Authenticator is not good enough anymore, depending on your, your threat level. And you'd have to use some sort of real um, phishing-resistant 2FA, like a YubiKey or a hardware security token. That's the only way you're going to get around that, really, unfortunately. And then just very, very briefly, the other sort of 2FA is where you have app-based, right, which is not authenticator. It's more of a push notification. So Apple or Google will send you a push notification through their own service being like, hey, you're getting this login from here. Do you want to approve it or deny it? And often, with Apple, they'll just have a map. You'd be like, deny. What hackers are doing recently, they just spam it over and over and over again until the person says, this is so annoying, I'm just going to allow it. And that works. It's crazy. That's so... That's that's the thing that I think it keeps coming back to then in my mind is it doesn't matter how savvy and how many technological solutions we come up for this problem you just have to you have to educate the public about social engineering really it seems like that's the root of the problem unfortunately 
Yeah, yeah. And try to find a way to mitigate the key problem of scammers preying on a sense of urgency. Like those are the most effective ones where it's like, you are being hacked. If you don't do this, you are going to continue being hacked, which is ironically uh, kind of true, right? Because they're obviously in the process of breaking into them. But somehow, somehow getting around that is the hardest problem for sure. So this leads to uh, an interesting question I had for you as we were talking about the show off the air. Um, I wanted to ask uh, how bad, because I feel like I'm getting inundated with this stuff now and it's gotten really bad in the last six months. Um, Spam calls, spam texts, and I've got a pretty robust, uh, my carrier is pretty good and I have a lot of tools for blocking like spam texts and like keeping lists of that kind of thing, but it's just constant. And like, if I get a phone call, that's not from a number that I know I, it's going to be someone trying to steal something from me or sell me something like all the time. And I wanted to ask you, how bad has your phone been going off the hook JC? Uh, and you had an interesting answer to this question. Yeah. As I mean, maybe some listeners will know or some readers of the site may do, but I don't, own a phone i haven't owned uh, a cell phone really for i don't know at least five years now maybe it's six or seven i'd I'd have to sit down and work it out but yeah i use just an ipod touch uh wi-fi only to do my communications so it's mostly obviously over email or some sort of messaging app or a lot of signal um obviously so I don't get spam texts in that i don't have a cellular device but of course when you live in the world, you do have to use a phone number to sign up for services. So I do have several different voice over IP numbers, different services, you know, such as Skype or something else, which give you basically an internet phone. And that's how I have to make normal phone calls when I absolutely have to, or when I sign up to a service. Now, I haven't spoken about this really, or written about it, but there is uh, this specific next part. But it is kind of interesting in that you can sign up to a service and it's a complete gamble whether it's going to work with that voice over IP number or not. You know, going to a bank and you want to set up your online banking. Okay, here's the verification code. The verification code just never arrived because the bank's carrier just does not want to play ball with your voice over IP number. Uh, I have that constantly. Uh, all the time with various different services and I have to try my other internet phone and then see if that works. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Um, The upshot of that is I don't know if the spammer's infrastructure works with my voice over IP number. I have received one spam phone call, uh, which was a very stereotypical one where you pick up and then there's a woman speaking, uh, I believe, in Mandarin, right? And I can't remember, that was a spam call from a while ago. I received that once and that has been the only spam call I've ever got. So they found a way <laughs> somehow, but you know, and obviously there's the normal stuff. If I limit or try to limit who I give that phone number to, which can be very, very difficult when you're living in uh, the Northern hemisphere, essentially, or even just anywhere, you know? Uh, but I do think it's interesting that someone that is uh, so up to speed on this stuff and reports on it for a living opted out of having a cell phone. Uh, are the things, are they connected? What's the origin story of you not? And I'm sorry, I know you've probably told this thing 1300 times, often at dinner, I'm sure. Uh, but what, what's the origin story here? It started when we were covering 
a lot of companies that sell a capability called SS7. That is when you tap into the backbone uh, of how phone calls are routed, but it allows companies to intercept text messages and track the location of the device. Started with that, where, you know, got phone calls from one company we wrote about, and they're like, oh, you're writing about me, blah, blah, blah. Um, It seems smart to not necessarily have a way for this adversarial sort of company to be able to track. So then I started not using a phone from there. And then, you know, you adapt. And then when you just think that you're going to um, maybe get a phone again, and maybe you can stop playing the security game, something else comes up. They're just like, no, I was right all along. And then, you know, there was where we covered the... uh, the three major telcos in America were selling the location data of their customers to bounty hunters uh, and then also, you know, third parties underneath them as well. Uh, SIM swapping became a massive thing uh, where telcos couldn't correctly verify their their users. Um, Breaches like T-Mobile, where they're storing this sensitive data um, in the first place, it just comes up and up and up where I do not trust the telcos on uh, application security level and network security level or just in general, uh, really. So at the moment, I'm staying with it, and it's fine. You know, there's Wi-Fi everywhere when you, when you live in a city, really. Um, and I, I've lived in multiple cities with this, and I've been able to do it fine. Um, but I appreciate for the vast majority of people it would be too much of a pain in the ass, yeah. No, but I mean, that's one option, right, is to opt out of these systems entirely. It's one way to protect yourself, and it doesn't seem like it's hurt you too badly. Well, that's the thing. You can't opt out entirely, which is what I've learned recently with those, oh, I have to use a phone number to sign to a bank or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that definitely has become harder, I would say that. It's still manageable for me, but I imagine other people would have dropped out by now for sure. Yeah, everyone has has their limits. So one one final thing I want to ask you about this that kind of links back to story we talked about on the last episode um, or episode previously, uh, the raid forums are gone, which is a place where a lot of this kind of activity would happen. Um, Right. Do you, has telegram now become telegram was always one of the places, but it has, has it become the place? Is there an increase of activity there? I wouldn't say there's necessarily an an increase in activity, but it may it will continue to be relevant, right? There is uh, another forum uh, which has sprung up very recently, which is billing itself as basically the new RAID forums. And it's even got, I mean, it's literally got the same like website, uh, website template and design, right? Um, so maybe people will start using that. R- RAID forums did have a Telegram chat uh, for quite a while. And so I think... You'd be right in that if people aren't going to the new site, they'll probably stay in the RAID forums Telegram and then go from other other Telegram channels from that. Yeah. So, uh, sorry, Emery, Emery Lee 2014 has another question, and then I'll let you go. Um, are you doing the interview right now from an iPod Touch, or have you in the past? Uh, I'm not doing it right now. Right now, this is a laptop, so I can use Ethernet. Uh, but I have done at least a couple of episodes of cyber on an iPod. Yeah, it's just that you then have to rely on Wi-Fi, and my internet is crap. So 
Um, I, I'm defaulting to a laptop at the moment, but yeah, I've definitely been on here with the iPod. Yeah. So there, there is the answer to your question. Another one of the mysteries of Cyber Solved. Occasionally, JC does call into the show from an iPod Touch. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, again, wonderful uh, chat here. Uh, if you if you like the show, we are streaming uh, live on Twitch twice a week. Um, you can also find the podcast out there wherever fine pods are casted. Uh, we will be back again next week with two more stories about what's going on in cyberspace. There's one really interesting one. Where we're going to get into the history of violence in American arcades. Very, very excited about it. It should be super fascinating. So tune in for that, and we will see you all next week. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.